Well, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, and I would appreciate your prayers this morning if you haven't already been able to tell my voice is a little bit scratchy today, uh, so I'm fearful I might break up break out into a coughing fit, so I'd appreciate your prayers as, as uh, we move through the morning here. Uh, I might not be as quite as energetic as I normally am just to save my voice, but nonetheless, God's word is faithful to us, amen? How many of you love history? History fans here. How many of you, when you hear the word history, you're, you're like ready for a nap? Anybody? That's kind of where I find myself at. What I've come to find out is those who love history usually stems from the fact that they had a fabulous history teacher. It's usually where it comes from. It's somebody who spoke with passion, who, who loved what they were teaching, and, and so that was contagious for you, and so you started loving history. But for me, I've never had a good history teacher, in my opinion. They were boring. They spoke at the same level. I mean, you know those teachers that never change their tone of voice. They just kind of stay at the same level. Here's the facts of history. You must memorize them and pass the test. Like that was the history classes that I had, and it made it extremely boring. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, is it not true that history matters? History is very important for us. History is where we can learn of the failings of other people so that we don't make the same mistakes. We can look at the history of our nation, what went well and what were massive failures. Those can help us learn what not to do. We can also look at successes and we can be able to tell what what is going to help us succeed in this life. History is important. And when it comes to history, we cannot view things without God at the center of it all. In fact, you may have heard it said that history is his story. In fact, it's a travesty when we take God out of what has happened in the past. If we do that, we are going to miss out on so much if we don't see God in history. But that is exactly what happened with the Jews here in Acts. Many of them didn't understand history, and they didn't see God at work in their history. But we have the opportunity to live differently. So let's jump into the text this morning. Follow along with me in Acts 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, 
he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor utter, understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written by, of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can come together, that we can be reminded of the fact that the grave could not hold you. You defeated sin. You defeated death, Lord, so that for those who repent of their sins and place their faith in you, we have no fear. Lord, for those who have turned away from their sinfulness and trusted you as their Savior, Father, there is freedom. Freedom that the law of Moses could not give. And so, Lord, I pray as we look into your, into your text this morning, I pray that we would see the fact that we can't look at history without seeing you. Lord, that it was your story. You are the one who wrote it. You are the one who's writing our lives now, and you are the one who knows the end. And we can trust you. 
And so, Father, I pray especially for those who may not know you this morning as Savior, as Lord, those who have not repented and turned from their sin and trusted you as their Savior. God, would you bring conviction this morning? Would you help them to see that you are all over everything and that we all desperately need you? Ultimately, Lord, I pray that we'd all walk out of here being worshipers of you, God, so we need you. What are we without you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the gospel is going forth to the nations. And as we read last week, Paul and Barnabas were set apart to go share the gospel. It was their devotion. It was their worship of the Lord that led them to have open hands to whatever the Lord had for them. It was their worship that moved their feet to go share the gospel and then to open their mouths to even confront those in opposition to the things of God. And ultimately, their worship led to more worship as we saw the proconsul place his faith in the Lord. And in the passage today, the mission continues. And we see them travel from place to place and end up in Antioch in Pisidia. So don't confuse this with Antioch that we've mentioned before. Antioch was just claimed for a certain person. So this is actually in Pisidia here. And notice, though, that before they head there, John leaves them according to verse 13. This was no small thing for Paul. This was, this was a painful thing for him. In fact, we don't really hear about it, though, until his frustrations are made known in chapter 15 where they are headed somewhere, and Barnabas wants to bring John along. However, because John had ditched them before, Paul didn't want him to join, and that actually splits Barnabas and Paul apart. Now, we don't really know why John left, but one thing to know is that this was treacherous land that they had to go through to get to Pisidia. I mean, this is a mountainous region. Uh, There were robbers there were bandits that were hanging out there. This was, this was no safe thing. So perhaps it was just too much for John. And he couldn't handle uh, the terrain. He couldn't handle what lay before him. But nevertheless, Paul and, and the crew carry on without, without him. Now while they're in Pisidia, they go to the synagogue. And as was custom, they would read from the law and prophets. And then following that, there would usually be a sermon by either one of the rabbis in the synagogue or a trusted teacher who was visiting. And it would not be uncommon to have a visitor share. And so Paul stands up and he encourages the people, starting in verse 16. And here's what we see. You can't view history without God. God is sovereign. You cannot look at history without understanding that God is sovereign over all. God is ruling over all. In the first section, Paul goes through the history of Israel. The crowd he he is speaking to consists of men of Israel, and it says those who fear God. And so these are are Gentiles. These are non-Jewish people who fear God. And I want you to see how clearly God's sovereignty is on display here in the text. Paul does not want them to miss that the story of Israel was not the story of how great the Jewish fathers were. Rather, the story is all about their mighty 
powerful, sovereign God. Just listen to what we see here. Verse 17, God chose the Jewish fathers. It was him who chose them. Not anything about them that made him choose them. God made the people great. It was God that increased them and grew them. It was God that with a mighty hand led them out of Egypt. Verse 18, it was in the wilderness that God put up with them for 40 years. Isn't that amazing? I mean, (laughs) Paul just lays it right out there. God put up with them. I mean, imagine the scene where they were at the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was chasing after them. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through it on dry ground. The Egyptian army follows. They get to the other side, and immediately what happens? The waters come back together and completely destroys the Egyptian army. And then just just not long after that, the Israelites are complaining about what they're eating and what they're drinking. And this would go on for 40 years. God was gracious. Wouldn't you agree? He was gracious to them. Verse 19, he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and and gave the land to the Israelites as an inheritance. It wasn't the people who destroyed it. It was God who gave the victory to them. Verse 20, he gave them judges to rule over them. Verse 21, he gave them the king they asked for. And by the way, the fact that they asked for a king was their rejection of God as their king. And so he gave them what they wanted. But even in that God was gracious, verse 22, he removed that king. And then he gave them a new and better king, one after God's own heart. And don't you find that amazing that he says that about David? I mean, was David really somebody that we all want to mirror our lives after? Just to remind you, David in the Old Testament was named king, and while he was king, he should have been at war. In fact, his leader of the army was out fighting the war, and he, David saw the man's wife bathing outside, and he's like, I want her, and has her sent over to him. He sleeps with her, ultimately gets her pregnant, and he's wanting to try to hide it, and so he has her husband sent to the front lines, and he's killed in war, and then he marries his wife. I mean, this is not a guy that, that we want to mirror our lives at, but yet He's a man after God's own heart. That should be encouraging for us, brothers and sisters, because none of us are nailing it, but I doubt many of us have had anybody killed, and I doubt many of us are sleeping with other people's wives. But God is gracious even still and brings them David. And up to this point, the Jews would agree with Paul. They would agree with everything that he said. They loved the Jewish fathers. They lifted them up high. And he wants them to understand that God was in complete control of everything that happened in the past. And the point for us to take away from this is that we can't view history apart from the sovereignty of God. When we look back in times, it's an opportunity to look for God. After all, it's his story There's nothing that happens outside of his allowing it to happen. And let me ask you this. Do you think the sovereignty of God is a critical theological understanding for us today? Do you think it makes a difference for us to trust and believe that God is sovereign? 
to, in order to help us, let's just look at what Scripture says because Scripture is full. And this is just scratching the surface of the fact that God is sovereign. Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So we have all these ideas in our, in our minds, all these things that we want to do, all these plans, but it, the purpose of the Lord is what will stand. We can, we can scheme all day long, but it's God who allows what happens to happen. Psalm 135.6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas, in all the deeps. Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of a man plans his way. But the Lord establishes the steps. Again, it goes to the fact that we can make plans, but it's ultimately the Lord who establishes our steps. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. He has no rival, amen? He has no equal. No one compares to our God. Look at Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Why do we glorify the Lord? Because everything is to him. Everything is for him. Everything comes about by him. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, this can be a scary thing. I mean, if you think of sovereignty and power being put into the wrong hands, that can create quite a mess, can it? And that can create quite fear. But the truth is, is we serve a God who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so understanding God's sovereignty is ultimately going to help us to trust in him more. Should we fear the Lord? Absolutely. There should be a reverent fear. Like God could just smite us right now if he wanted to. There's a fear. It's not a fear I'm afraid and I'm only going to do something to please you, but, I'm, but I can't come near you. It's this, this awesome awe allness of everything that God is. And in order to help us with the fact that God is sovereign, we can trust in what Scripture says. In Romans 8.19 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Because God is sovereign, we can trust that no matter what comes our way, no matter the trials, the pain, the suffering, we know ultimately by what Scripture says that God works it for the good. Can, can God work everything for our good if he's not sovereign? No. Some people have a struggle of how can God be sovereign and good? Why does he allow suffering to come into the world? And, and sometimes we just have to acknowledge the fact that God is God and he can do what he wants and who are we to question him? But all we can do is look at what scripture says and follow it and believe it. And so as believers in Christ, we can trust in the sovereignty of God because we know as his children, he works everything for our good. And so there is no trumping God. There's no tricking him. There's no one-upping him. There's no overthrowing his plans. There's no surprising him. There's nothing that anyone can do 
that makes God have to stop and think. You ever, you ever ponder that? You ever stop and think and realize that God never has to stop and think? Like he's never got to think, oh, man, what am I going to do? I didn't see that coming. That was a curveball. How am I going to handle that? God, God doesn't operate that way. He is so sovereign and powerful. He knows everything that happens. He knows everything that will happen. He knows everything that could happen. And he is sovereign and in control of it all. And this is vital for the Jews to understand this. Paul is setting them up here. So the first thing we need to understand is that we can't view history without God. God is sovereign. The second thing is this. You can't view history without Christ. Christ is Savior. We cannot view history without Christ. Look again at verse 26. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of Christ, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up from him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he, has, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So going back to verses 24 and 25, Paul spoke of John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for Christ. And once again, we see the humility in true followers of Jesus. People wanted to worship John. People wanted to come after him. But what did John do? John reflected everything back to Jesus. He was not there for himself. He was there to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was nothing apart from Christ. In fact, it says that he was unworthy to untie his sandals. What John was saying is that he was, he was worse than a servant. He was worse than a slave. He was lower than a slave compared to Christ. He wasn't even worthy to do what a slave does by taking off the sandals of his master. And here's what you need to understand about the Jews. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. The problem was is they had their own vision of what that God looked like. Their own vision of what Jesus looked like. And certainly he wasn't a man-made God. He wasn't one who came uh, to be weak, quote-unquote, and die on a cross, how could that possibly be God? And the sad part is that week after week after week, they read about Jesus in the Old Testament. 
Look what it says here right in the scriptures. They completely missed it. Every synagogue they gathered. Verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. They completely missed it. Week after week, they're reading about Jesus, and yet they missed the fact that he was there with them. And it was actually them fulfilling what they were reading. They missed it. And the scary part is that it's possible to be proficient readers of the Bible and miss Jesus altogether. And we see here how Paul points them to the Old Testament in Psalm 2. He quotes Psalm 2 in verse 33, 33, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now this isn't speaking of like Jesus was born. It wasn't that Jesus was born into this world and he lived a good life. And so God's like, oh, I'm going to give you God's status. I'm going to make you the son of man. Like that's not what it's saying here. Begotten means you are of me. You are, we are of the same essence. We are the same. You are God. And in verse 34, he shares from Isaiah 55, 3, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. So Jesus came in the line of David. And then he finishes off by quoting another psalm in verse 35. You will not let your holy one see corruption. That last psalm came from Psalm 16, verse 10. And then he goes on talking about David and his fathers seeing corruption. What does it mean to see corruption? What it means is that those people died and their bodies rotted in the grave. But that was not so with Jesus. Did he die? Yes, he died. But he rose again, defeating death, proving that he was who he says he was. Week in. And week out, they heard of Christ and what they read, and yet they missed him. They didn't look at history with Christ in view. That was why they rejected him in the first place. But, and the reason why they rejected him is because they saw him as a, as a created being. Was Jesus a created being? No, he wasn't. We read this in John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. They could not wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was God. Jesus didn't earn God's status. Let's hear that correctly. He didn't just live a life that made him worthy to be God, he was God. You see the difference there? Some people do believe that Jesus came and just lived a righteous life. They may even believe in the virginity of his mother, but the truth is Jesus was there at the beginning. He was there at creation. We even read this in Acts and talked about this a long time ago in Acts 2, verse 23. This Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and what? For knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus was not a plan B. Jesus didn't look at the mess of the world and think, what have I done? 
What are wrong with these people? What are, oh my goodness, we've got to think of something different to do. What are we going to do? Oh, wait, here's this great man. Oh, okay, I think this is going to be it. Maybe if Jesus dies, then, then everything will be okay. No, this was the plan from the beginning. In essence, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, God viewed Jesus as being slain. That was the plan from the beginning. I'm going to create a world. It's going to turn for me because man is sinful. But then I'm going to send my only son who's going to pay the price for our sin. And the Jews missed it. They actually participated in that plan. As much as the Jews loved their ancestors like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, each one of them saw corruption. Each one of them died and their bodies rotted. But Christ proved he was Savior by dying on the cross and then rising again. And he even says that he didn't just go to heaven because that would be easy to try to take this body away. We're going to hide it and just say that he rose again and went to heaven. But the truth is, he went and met with other people. 30, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And so all these people saw Jesus walking after he was crucified, saw him, yet he was risen from the grave. And now think about this. If you're back then, and this wasn't true, would you give your life up for something that wasn't true? Or would you not come to the place and say, you know what, enough is enough. This isn't worth losing my life over. I mean, many of these people died in despicable ways because of their choosing to follow Christ. And so when I look and see that people chose to continue proclaiming Jesus, that they saw him after he came down from the grave, I'm going to believe that because why would somebody die for something they knew wasn't true? The truth is, Jesus is Savior. And the truth is, Jesus had to come. There was no other way to salvation apart from Christ. And that really leads us to the last point, and that's this. You can't redeem history without the gospel. The gospel is sufficient. Look at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The reality is there's only one way sins can be forgiven. It's through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's through him that forgiveness is proclaimed. No amount of animal sacrifices made could bring everlasting forgiveness. What did what have we read through? If you've been reading through the Bible in a year, we've read through all the law. Have you, have you just been overwhelmed by reading through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and you're thinking, how in the world could they possibly do it? But you know, I've also found this thing in me that like, wouldn't it be nice to know that you could do something and know that God has overseen your sins? Like, he's given them the way. He's given, you want to be right with me? You want things to go well for you? You want your land to flourish? 
You want your life to go well? Do you want me to be with you? Do you want to grow and increase and multiply? Follow these things. Let me ask you, how did that go for them? Did they do it? No. The law of Moses was unable to do what only Christ could do. The law of Moses didn't bring freedom. Rather, it brought condemnation because it revealed how sinful they were. I mean, all the other gods that the people worship were unstable. The people didn't know what they were thinking. They didn't know what was good for their gods and what was bad. They didn't know what would earn punishment for them or what would earn blessing. It was unstable. And the truth is we know that there's only one true God. I mean, they had everything. The Israelites had everything they needed to please God, and yet they could not do it. The law was given so that the people would understand how sinful we are. And when we look at Scripture, and if we just look at it as law, if we just look at it as a bunch of rules we have to follow, then we will walk away thinking, man, I am a sinful person. That's why we can't look at the Scriptures as law. We look at the Scripture as grace. When we open up God's Word, who do we see? We see Jesus The one who was crucified before the foundation of the world. The one who was given so that we might have hope. The law had its effect. And for hundreds and thousands of years, the people realized we're a mess and we can't do this and there is no hope. But at the right time, the right time, Jesus came. And he came and he did what the people could not do. Lived a perfect life righteous life and then he died the death that you and I deserved but in that death he rose again defeating the power of sin and hell so that we do know we do not have to fear death the law of Moses couldn't free from sin But through Jesus, we find freedom from our sin. Because of the gospel, there is a way to be made right. And when the Jews look back at their history, there were a lot of negative things about it. They were responsible for rebelling against the Lord over and over again. They were responsible for crucifying Christ on the cross. And Paul warned them in verse 41, quoting from Habakkuk, says this, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. This morning we've read about salvation. I've told you about what Jesus has done for you. And each of us here has a history. And every one of our histories condemns us. It's a history that can only be resolved in one of two ways. Either we will pay for our sin in eternity in hell. Because that's what we all deserve. Or it will be resolved on the cross. For those who acknowledge their sin, who see it clearly. Is the world not broken? Is it not clear that we're a mess? But we confess our sins and place our faith in Christ. 
He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't be like the people of old who heard but would not believe. Just look around at the brokenness of the world. Year after year, history repeats itself. The hate all around us continues to grow. The desire for more stuff, to collect things, to compare to others, swells. The divisions that we see amongst us, amongst political parties, is only growing further apart. But there is one who unites us this morning. That's Christ. So this morning when you consider history, let me encourage you to place God at the center of it. It's his story. He's sovereign. He is in control. And there with him since the beginning was Christ. The plan from the beginning was for him to pay the price for our sin. And despite what your history is, the gospel is sufficient to rescue you. And it starts with understanding that you're a sinner. And that has completely separated you from a holy God. And it involves placing your faith in Christ. And then Jesus calls us to do this, to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, as that we reveal, review history as we look back, that we would not miss you. God, you are sovereign over it all. May we find great comfort in that, not fear. May we find great comfort. Because we know that you're in control. And, Lord, we know that you worked everything for the good of those who love you. And, Lord, please, please don't allow us to miss Christ when we look back. Before the foundation of the world, the plan was for Jesus to be crucified. But he didn't stay in the grave. His body did not see corruption. He rose again and he reigns. And he's pleading before the throne of grace. And, Lord, I pray for us as we look back at our history that we would not be overcome in our own grief that would lead us to despair, but that we would remember that our history can be redeemed through Christ. Lord, that you would grant repentance and faith in you. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray for those, Lord, who, if they've never repented of their sin, would you bring heavy conviction to them? Would you allow them to see with their eyes their sinfulness, but see the joy and the hope of their Savior, and that they might find repentance and faith today? Lord, that all of us would live denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you daily. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me leave you with a few action steps here before we close in, in song. I encourage you to memorize John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, the word with God, the word was God. Just reminding us the fact that Jesus was God. He wasn't just a good man who came and earned God's status. He was God from the beginning. It was God's plan that he would be crucified on our behalf. And I can intend, uh, encourage you to, to read Psalm 115. If you want to go deeper into just understanding God's sovereignty, his power, this would be a great, 
uh, opportunity for you to, to dwell into that. And then I just encourage you, view history through God and through Christ. Like this is his story. He wrote everything. Everything that's happened is, is inside the control of God. Do you understand that? Nothing that happens is outside of God's control. It's his plan all along. Everything that has happened has fallen inside his sovereignty. And then I encourage you that last part, let history be history. If you're allowing what you've done in the past to define you today, let me remind you that there's redemption in Christ. The gospel is sufficient to, to bring forgiveness through our repentance and our faith in Christ. So let the history be history. Believer in Christ, if you already have done that, then let me remind you there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Mourn over your sin. Repent of it. Turn from it. Go to the Lord. Go to those whom you offended. But then realize when we've done that, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. So in light of that, let's uh, sing to the Lord once more this morning.